While I might be known as your city to suburbs interior designer, my next guest, Amanda, she's known as your subway to suburbs realtor, and you're not going to want to miss this episode. You're listening to Welcome Home to the Suburbs. Designing a new home to be your family's sanctuary can feel impossible during the stress of moving. In this podcast, interior designer Jill Kalman shares practical advice, design wisdom, and lifestyle tips for anyone moving to a new home. You'll learn all about the psychology of a well-designed home and how to survive the move and thrive in your new life. Say goodbye to overwhelm and hello to a home you love to come back to every single time. Here's your host, Jill Kalman. I'm happy to welcome Amanda Tarter to the podcast today. Amanda is an experienced real estate professional who exudes the same fresh energy as her home city of Manhattan. That's right. Amanda is a city transplant, we like to say, right? She's come subway to suburbs herself. She's personable, professional, and dedicated, working diligently for all of her clients. First-time buyers especially love Amanda thanks to her youthful spirit and determination to make their initial real estate experience rewarding. She's a member of Michelle and team at William Ravis Real Estate here in Westport, Connecticut, where I am also located, and she has quite a following for something she's doing called Hey Amanda, and we'll get into that as well. But you won't want to miss this deep dive episode into real estate and all the great tips that Amanda has no matter where you live. Hi, Amanda. It's so great to have you here. Hi, thank you for having me. So we have a lot to talk about, and I think it's a great conversation. You and I are both, it's funny because I i say I'm like the city to suburbs designer and you're the subway to city realtor. So um, aside from subway to city, tell the audience just a little bit about yourself. Um, I've been working in residential real estate for over 20 years. I grew up in New York City. I lived there up until seven years ago with my family and worked in real estate for Corcoran, for Compass. So it's really been my primary career throughout my life. When I moved out here, I worked in the city partially and out here partially. And after a year or so of living out here, I realized like I really loved it out here and I didn't want to commute to the city anymore and have focused on Fairfield County since then. That's great. That's really good. How did, so how did Subway to Suburbs start for you? Like you sort of, you coined yourself that way. I did because over a long period of time, I was, and this was long before COVID, I was primarily helping people that were moving from the city because they were either starting a family, expanding their family, and they wanted more of a suburban life. And it just turned out that the clients that I was attracting and getting were from there, but it was a niche because they were also facing some other challenges. It wasn't just a regular, like, let's just get the house designed. There were a lot of different you know, challenges, which you and I are going to speak about. So I'm just curious with yours, how it came to be. Maybe it's just because you went from city to suburbs. Well, a little bit of both, honestly. I mean, I always had an Instagram handle. And when I was when I moved out here and I was working in both markets, I wanted the handle to reflect my identity of being in both places. And then really when I transitioned to just working out here, I felt like it still, you know, it still was my identity. Like I felt like Westport's not generically suburban. I I don't feel generically suburban. I still feel like I have a little bit of like the city grit and that's, you know. It's part of my identity. Yeah. I also think, like you said, is like I really work 
mostly with people moving from the city. So people are making the same move that I did seven years ago and can identify with it. Yeah. And for me too, I, I'm like a real suburban girl. And so, and I'm a real homebody. So I was able to be very helpful to people moving and, you know, taking on this home ownership in the suburbs, which you and I are going to talk about. Well, that's, yeah, that's like what's turned out to be, you know, anyone who has known me for a long time, like everyone was shocked when I was moving out to the suburbs because I always, my whole identity really was that I grew up in the city. I lived in the city and the fun surprise has been that like, I love the suburbs and I, the lifestyle out here suits me so well. That's great. Like, yeah, I haven't looked back. Most people are loving it. Most people are. Here and there, there there's some people that that go back to the city, but most people do really like it because there's a lot to offer. But let's start with the seller end of it. And then we're going to get into a lot of the buyers. But because you and I talked about that, you brought up a good point for sellers. You don't want to over-improve your home. So let's talk about over-improvement from the seller side on how Well, I think it I think it starts with a buyer, right? So like when you when you're buying a house, you're looking at for, from the eyes, the eyes of, you know, what am I going to do right away? What am I going to do over time? And where where should I put money into improving the house? And I think the mistake that some people make is and I see it all the time is they make overly expensive, overly personal renovations. Yeah. It could be as simple as like, you know, colors to I've seen pools that have a grotto built into it and <laughs> right like or you know an outdoor kitchen you know the outdoor kitchen is a great investment but you need a grill you need a refrigerator and that's you know really maybe running water but like you don't need the kegerator you don't need you know you're not serving in a restaurant it's right. just, I think I think that keeping in mind like return on your investment is always important. Yeah. That, and I think that was the key to it you were trying to make to me when you and I were talking was just that when you do these things as a seller if you choose to do them and that's fine cuz maybe you just do, right? And we we all have right, clients right. that do cuz they're like for when I'm living here this is what I want. Just have the expectation set that you may not get it back dollar for dollar. Right? That's really the key to it. So it's like, if you're going to do it, do it and and say, yeah, I'm doing this for me. I'm doing this. Yeah, it's going to show nicely, but I'm not going to get it back dollar for dollar. I think that was the the main kind of point home. And I think that's an important one that you brought up. But I also think there's ways to renovate, you know, with resale in mind to be more strategic about where you're putting money in terms of like, you know, what people want to see. I'm very of the thought you can take the exist, you know, cause you may have a house where you feel like, well, this room really should be blown out or we really need to add a sunroom, whatever it is. I'm really of the thought you can actually take the existing space and really make it lovely and saleable. And there's all kinds of creative ways to do that. Yeah. You and I, we talked about that a little bit being like, paint makes a huge difference, it's right? Massive. Like when you're right, like when, when you see a house, you know, sometimes you see a house, actually my house is a great example. Like when I went to look at my house, my dining room was orange. The mm-hmm. master bedroom was mint green mm-hmm. and the kitchen cabinets were like a dark, dark wood. Yeah. And I came in and I literally had every surface painted or wallpapered. Mm-hmm. I painted the kitchen cabinetry. I changed the hardware. I changed the appliances. Mm-hmm. It looked like a new house. Yeah. And you know, those are the things like I always encourage people to do because it's so much bang for your buck. It's huge. I had actually a family move from New York city and the house they bought was great, great layout and everything. The paint colors like you said, were a little harsh. 
And also the paint job that had been done was not great. The walls were not in great shape. And we had the painter come in and do every room and like really, you know, repair the walls where needed and whatever. And they came back into the house to move in. And even before that, even the contractor and I were like, oh my God, this looks like a new house. And they walked in and they're like, it looks like a whole new house. And it was, it was just paint. So yeah, you bring up a really good point. It goes a long way as far as getting your home, like looking and feeling updated. So as I mentioned, you know, I see families struggle with a lot of things and you've gone through it personally too. So what do you think are the biggest challenges for moving from city to suburbs? I mean, I think there's lifestyle challenges and then also house challenges. So lifestyle wise, the, the biggest thing I see is is everyone here looks at a house in Westport and they want to know if they can walk to town or they can walk to school. Or And I have to explain that it's not really a walking community. No. There's very few places in town where you can really walk somewhere that you're going to want to walk to, right? Like right. the beach is walkable, like right in town is walkable. But I think adjusting to like the car lifestyle is hard for people. That, by the way, that was one of the things I really liked about the suburbs. Is like I was so happy to just be in a car and drive places instead of having to take the subway or a taxi. Or yeah, um, it just it felt so easy to me. And then one of the other things I noticed is people get stressed out. You know, you're coming from like a two bedroom apartment, and then all of a sudden you have a five bedroom house to furnish, and it's like you get. I think they're like deer in headlights. Like people like don't know where to start. Yep. So I know you and I talked about like, it's nice to have like a cohesive plan for the whole house, but mm-hmm. you can do it one room at a time. You absolutely can. And, and I've told people they get so afraid of that, that every room like almost has to look the same or whatever. But what I've been trying to explain to people, like I just came out with a free quiz to help people too. We all tend to gravitate to what we like. And so there is what I call these common denominators that run through your house. So if you do your, you know, family room first, it doesn't mean your dining room isn't going to, it's not going to be like a Willy Wonka house. Like you tend to like what you like and you can make it coordinate. So, and it is okay. Like I, like I said to you, and like I tell my clients, you don't have to go in and do the whole house at once. You may have to do the paint. You may have to do the floors, but like, you don't have to furnish your whole house at once, but you need it to be livable. And you know, because I always say you need somewhere to eat, somewhere to sleep, somewhere to relax, right? That's comfortable. And the kitchen's important too. So yeah, I think, I think there's many challenges. And I think emotionally, some people, I've talked to some people, we did a podcast episode about it a while ago, but some people get to the suburbs and some of them have a really hard time adjusting and they're almost afraid to admit it even to themselves. And it's like, it's okay to say like, I just need to adjust to this, you know? I think it takes some time. Yeah. I mean, it, it takes time to meet people. Like, and actually, like everyone here, I find, has gone through the same thing and they're super friendly. But it might take a little while for you to meet your people or people exactly. that you really connect with or your community. Yeah. And, but like you said, the, you know, with, when you're talking about doing the rooms for the house, I always tell people the same thing, which is do the things you don't want to live through, right? Like you have to do floors, you have to paint, do all right. that stuff before you move in. And then everything else, you know, you can tackle like step by step. Yeah, I will just say if the floors, if you're doing a whole house, I know it can be a big chunk up front, but I will tell people now, if you really think you're ultimately changing them, it is 101 times harder to do them after you move in. Because after you move in, if you do floors, you basically have to pack up and kind of move again. And there's dust everywhere. I will just put that out to anybody. If you think your floors need to be done, 
do them before you move in. You'll be so grateful. <laughs> oh, oh, I always tell people that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about too, how you advise your clients to look at their future home as far as looking beyond some of the cosmetic things they may see, but could be changed. And I, and I do think I mentioned to you, this has gotten a lot better from, especially when I was looking at a home. It's not that staging didn't exist, but staging is much more common now in a home. So people usually will walk into something that's pretty pleasant you know, but there are times you can walk into a home and I had it happen with my husband where like they had awful furniture, awful shag carpet, awful color on the wall, and he couldn't see past it. And I'd be like, no, wait, they have great right, molding right. and the layout is great. Right. No, to me, visually, like all that's gone because their furniture is not going to be here. The carpet can be ripped out. So you and I talked about that and it, and it still exists to a degree, even with staging, because I think I told you, I have a client that bought a perfectly staged new build home, but it wasn't her taste at all. So she did have to go in and change all the palette and all of that. So let's just, let's talk about that a little bit. I think it's important for buyers to pay attention to the things that you can't change. So, so location, you know, layouts harder to change the property. Like, is it a flat yard? Is it sunny? Does it have room for the pool you want? Like mm -hmm. all those things that are harder to change. Is it the, is it the right area of Maybe the school district, right? Exactly. You want to right, be. right, part of town. Right. You know, is it convenient to commuting? And once you're in a house, there's so much of it, like you said, that paint, floors, hardware, decor, like can change. That I do try very hard to get people to look past that. And I think staging does help. Staging also sometimes you know hides some of the flaws, less stellar parts of a house. That's sure. true. I didn't think yeah. of it that way, but that's a good point. Yeah. And I think, you know, so if you walk into a place and like my husband and he's, you know, I'm not picking on him. He's like a lot of people. I only see it different because of like the way my visual brain works because of what I do. But like a lot of people would walk in and be like, oh, I, I hate that furniture. And it's like, no, but that's not what you're looking at. Look at the windows, look at the property, look at, yeah. Or you have people, you know, when there's, when there's personal photos on the wall and people get like caught up looking at the family, I'm like, they don't come with the house. Like, you know, like that is not part of what you're buying here, but no, you, you really have to. And I encourage people always to see a house more than once. Cause I think you have to feel the space more, you know, see it, you see it first with initial eyes. And then when you come back a second time, you see different things. You know, that's such a good point. Cause I feel like, especially with, during COVID people were obviously really rushed to buy homes. Some people bought them yeah. through like video walkthroughs. Yeah. But I think due to that, we kind of get into this rush mode about real estate because of inventory and everything, not just in our area, just on a national level. So I think you bring up a good point, which is like, now we do, I think, have a little more time, right? And so if you can come back to the home a second time, I think it makes a big difference. I think you should always see a house two times. I think if you're seeing it three, four, five times, then you're convincing yourself and it's not meant to be. That's a great tip also. I think that's a really good piece of advice. And you know what you could do too? Like if you get, it's also a smart thing. Let's say you get it down to two homes that you like the most. Go back to those. You're just going back to those two properties a second or a third time. It's not like you're going to see every house. It's like once you get down to the one or two that you think are for you. Yeah. yeah. If you're going to make an offer, see it another time. I also think for me, a house, you know, it's, an investment, but mm -hmm. it's also an emotional decision. Yeah. And I think people generally 
sometimes you just have to go with your gut. Like, can you see yourself living here? Can you picture your stuff in this house? You know, how does it feel? Like those are really equally important to, is it a good investment? And, you know, after we identified the house, like I always take a good amount of time to go through the comparables Mm -hmm. to talk about, you know, what the, what the value is, or, you know, lately it's been, what do you have to do to get the house, right? So it's value and then also like, you know, how you feel about the house is equally important. Yeah, your gut reaction, for sure. And it's like with anything, even people who are like, I don't know how to choose a designer. Like, even if it's not me, I I will give people advice on hiring a designer because I think it's important because if it's the wrong fit, it can be really awful for both parties. And I'll say like, your gut will tell you like there's gonna be some people you click with and some that you don't. And it's it's not like that anyone's good or bad. We all have our own personality traits and it's gotta just fit. Same thing with your home. It's a very emotional purchase, probably one of the most, I would almost argue. And so your gut feeling, you know, you've probably had those clients where they walk in and they're like, oh my God, this is it. That's a feeling, you know? And so you've got to go with it. And you also see people, and I've done this too, the realtor will pull in the driveway and you'll be like, I'm not even walking into this one, right? Yep. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, and it's okay. And that's okay. Like, you're like, if... Someone says like, I hate the block. Like, okay, well, we can't change the whole block. So like, it's not meant to be. Like, that's okay. (laughs) The new sofa isn't going to help that. Exactly. Right. Uh, right. Funny. Did you know I offer digital design services? That's right. Just from the comfort of your own home, you can work with me and get a room designed. In fact, we are 200 rooms and counting with these services. So I have a one-to-one service called Room Service, which is the complete plan for an entire space. And my new Room RX gets any quick problem diagnosed and remedied very fast. It's also a one-on-one, one hour with me, and it's only $199. In fact, this month, both Room Service and Room RX are on special promotion. So you're going to want to go to my website, jillcalmaninteriors.com, and set up a free call with me, learn more about it, and we will get you scheduled for this incredible savings so you can have the room you dream of today. So the big thing is, and this kind of applies, I think, to everything we've just talked about, which is challenges from moving and homeownership, but you and I spoke a lot about what are the true costs of owning and running a home? Because most people look at it, I believe, as, okay, I can afford the mortgage. Awesome, I'm in, okay? And then I think what you and I want to really highlight is the mortgage is one piece of the monthly budget. There's a pretty good list after that of what you're going to need to account for so you don't get stressed and you don't get overwhelmed. Absolutely. So usually before I have clients make an offer, I always ask from the seller's agent for a list of the utilities. So like, what are the sellers spending on oil? What are they spending on propane? What are they spending on landscaping? Like, what is the cost of running this house? Mm -hmm. And also their service providers, who are they using? You know, Mm -hmm. what does it look like to run this house? Lawn care. Lawn care is big. I mean, oil, exterminator, you know, when you come from a city apartment, the exterminator is usually paid for by your building, right? right? You're not paying for your heat. Like you're paying 
Electricity is sometimes included, not always, but sometimes, yeah. but your monthlies are much lower in an apartment. It's included in your maintenance charges, right. really. Right. Versus here where you know you're really in control of who you're choosing to do the work for you and what work you're choosing to do. I mean, in Westport we have private garbage, so you need to set up your own garbage. Yeah. So all those factors, I think it's really important to know ahead of time. Yeah, I always say like there's no super. Now you're the super, right? right? And so right. people will move and they'll be like, oh my God, I have to find a snowplow guy, but then, yeah, I have to pay for snow removal. And because a lot of these streets are private, like our road, it only has five homes. So our snow removal, the town does not do that. Same with garbage, right. like you said. Now it depends on where you live. Obviously we have a national audience with this podcast, but we get a lot of Fairfield County listeners who are in our area. And yeah, so all of those things can add up. And then I've spoke to financial people on my podcast and you bring it up too. You should also have an emergency fund. Like what if the central AC unit breaks or needs repair or the oil burner or an appliance? I mean, a roof leak, whatever. It's You have to have an emergency yep. fund. And then I do find most people when they buy the house, they're pretty aware that they are going to have to paint and do floors and they get their quotes and they get their money set aside. From my perspective, then what happens is they sort of forget about any furnishings. And it's a part of owning your home. You and I spoke about it. I had clients who had nicer cars in the driveway. They had like a nicer place to sit in their car than in their own living room. So it's like, there's nothing wrong with having nice cars. That's not my point. But the point is, you have a nice car and nowhere to sit. Like it's got a, it's got a balance right. for me, you know? Right. So right. you do have to start budgeting and saying, okay. And again, you don't have to do the whole house at once, but if I want to start doing these rooms, like where is my budget and how can I kind of set aside to get there? You know? I think, I mean, I always recommend designers too. I mean, I think that it's the type of thing where people are overwhelmed with what do they do first and how do they do it in yes. terms of furnishing a house. Yeah. So I think, again, like having the cohesive plan to start off with and then ticking it off room by room is is super helpful. I like I give a couple budget tips because a lot of people will say to me, I have no idea what it's going to even cost to furnish like my family room and this or that. So I like came up with a little freebie for my clients. It's like a budget sheet to say, okay, your sofa in like low, medium, high ranges, this is what you're looking at. I also give a quick tip where I'm like, just go to one of your furniture website that you like and put it and it. you don't have to take a lot of time searching. Just be like, I need a sectional sofa, a coffee table, a rug, an end table, a lamp, and then look at your cart. And what is your cart total? Yeah. And it's kind of a quick way to just be like, okay, this is kind of the range I'm in. Because even if you're not going to hire a designer, you still should have a furnished home. So however you're going to do that, you have to plan the same way you planned for, I think your budget thing, we talked a lot about planning. And when you don't plan, like if you didn't plan to buy the new house, you know, you have to set aside a certain budget, find a realtor, all that stuff, right? Absolutely. I also think when we talk about people being overwhelmed with the process, I always tell people that this, the first six months in the house are the hardest in terms of that's when you're figuring everything out. So you start off with a list of providers from the seller, but you may find out you don't like the landscaper and then you hire yeah. a new landscaper or yep. you don't like their oil service. You found a cheaper one. And then you sort of tick off and go through it. Like you said, a handyman. And I find once you have sort of your arsenal of people who you can trust and who do things with you for the house, it becomes almost automated. I think it's six months of stress, basically. Yeah. And then I think it's it's more smoother sailing. Yeah. And same thing. I tell people live in your house a little before you... Like if there's a room, you're sort of questioning, what are we going to do with it? 
Also, yep. don't rush to furnish it just to furnish it. Live in your house and realize how you use your space, how you use your room, so that when you make those purchases, they're more intentional. Absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, because it, it is an investment. So you want to make sure you're making the right purchases. So you also, again, you're also a lot of these people, if you're coming from an apartment to a house, you live differently, right? Like in an apartment, you're living in one, one room right. plus your, plus your bedroom. Here you have a playroom. You could have a den. You could have another office. So, so see where you're spending time. Exactly. So it's always a good thing to live in the house a little while for all of this. It can be overwhelming, but I think between, I have found most realtors in this area and probably on a national level, are such good resources for people, which you and I are going to close the show with because you have such a good thing that's going on with you. But before we do that, tell me some of the top things from a realtor's perspective that you recommend to new homeowners or people looking for a home, like whether it be tips on their search or tips on getting their initial budget together, any tips for somebody who is ready to buy a home or has just bought a home? It could be either really. I think the budget is a, is a big part of it. So, you know, knowing what you can spend and that's a, like, what's the purchase price? What's your down payment? What can you afford on a monthly basis? But like you said, also the hidden charges. So figuring out, you know, what that looks like and really knowing, knowing that going into the process, especially here where we've had a really competitive market. Yeah. I want my clients to be pre-approved. I want them to have a, a letter all ready to go. I want mm-hmm. them to, you know, have everything have an attorney chosen, know who their mm-hmm. inspector is going to be, or what are they waiving in terms of contingency is like, mm-hmm. I want to have all those conversations up front so that when you see a house, you can make an offer and move very quickly. So, you know, that's being prepared is the most important. Yes. You touched on it a little bit when you talked about choosing a designer and the interview process, but I think choosing a broker is a lot in the same way. Or very an agent. Mm-hmm. It's such an intense period that you're you're talking every day, you're spending a lot of time together. You have to pick somebody that you enjoy being with, mm-hmm. that you that you want to spend time with and whose opinion you trust because you're you're relying on this person and if you don't trust them then then really what's the point? Yeah. So, you know, I think it's a it's a very important relationship. Yeah, it's the same with us the trust factor for sure. You had brought up a good point when we were talking. I'm just going to mention it when when we were on the phone together, which is that you know, when you go to get pre-approved for a mortgage, the broker's going to give you this number that you're approved for. So people think, okay, that's my number and I can spend that, but they're not accounting for all the other things we just spoke about. And so you had said, you know, it, it might be better to come down off whatever that number is a little, because you said, which is such a good point, And I agree with it. And I've, I've said it too, is like, maybe you get a different house that's less money so that when you're in, you don't feel that like, then all the other things adding up into the monthly budget, it makes it comfortable. You can live in a house that you are able to furnish, that you are able to heat comfortably, that you are able to perform all the maintenance and not stress about it. Like it's not this big thing looming over you, right? Yeah. So I I think that for the most part, I think people do give themselves a cushion. I don't see people buying at the top, top of their budget, really. Right. Like we had just talked, you were like, at a couple points, you're like, I'd almost rather have like the smaller house, but no, it's fully furnished. And like, I can run it and I can do everything rather than like, you just are waiting and waiting for years. And there's some people buy these homes and for years and years room. I mean, it's not just like six months or a year. It's like, I've been into homes where they're multi-million dollar homes. And like for five years, one whole end of the house has had no furniture legit. And so, right, right. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I guess it, it all comes down to like a personal choice, right? Like, yes, like you said, I would rather be in a smaller house that was totally furnished. Right. But I think that 
it also depends if you're buying something that's totally done or something that needs work. So I think people are more likely to spend the top of their budget when they're buying a new construction house because they're right. like, oh, I have nothing to do. Right. Whereas, you know, if, if it's something that needs work, they will be better about budgeting, you know, for that stuff. Right. No, I get it. And I know it's a tricky balance between what somebody can afford and then a, a realtor that's showing the house and they technically can't afford it. And so I get it. Like there's a right. balance to it. But at the same time, people sometimes overbuy. And in fact, one client who I had ended up selling the house and they were like, we had to stop the design with you because we literally couldn't afford to run the house anymore. It was like eating us up. Right. And they didn't realize that when they moved in. That's all. So I just right. caution so that, people. Right. That's where we can like getting the expenses up front is important. I mean, I, you know, they're. I've sold houses where the landscaping is such a huge number because, you know, it's on six acres and, right. you know, it can be, or you, 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 likewise, you could have two acres, but it could be tons of gardens. Or, right. Right. Or you could have, you know, the six acre property could just have hydrangea and bushes and be low maintenance. So it's, it's important to find out, you know, what have the sellers been doing to maintain the house? Right. And that's why I mentioned it too, because you, you hate for people to be in a position like that client who was like, this house just was eating us alive. And like, we, and now after all that, they had to move and they had spent quite a bit on design of that house too, right. but they had to leave, you know, and then, and then they got another house they liked, which they needed my help with. But the point was to have to even go through that was tough, you know? So yep. Yep. Anyway, yeah, no, that's, avoid, that's... it can avoid something like that. That's all. The fun thing we're going to talk about is, and when you visit Amanda's Instagram page, which everything will be linked in our show notes and whatnot, but you're going to see something that says, Hey, Amanda. So let's talk about, and that Amanda's my middle name, by the way. Oh, nice. Hey, Amanda happened like super organically this year. One of my clients who became a very good friend, they would reach out to me for everything. You know, what's the best Chinese food or who's your <laughs> landscaper or, you know, we want to build an outdoor kitchen. And so I was giving them resources and their nine-year-old son sort of kept being like, you ask Amanda for everything. It's always, <laughs> hey, Amanda, hey, Amanda. And so then we all started talking and they run a branding agency and they were kind of like, there's something here. Like you have to do something with this. So, and, and the funny part is that, you know, it's my clients who ask me all these questions, but it's also my friends. So, mm -hmm. you know, I end up being a resource for anything you could think of. I mean, sometimes it's literally like shopping because I love to, I love to shop. So right. it's, you know, I need to go to a bar mitzvah, like what dress should I wear? Or, you know, down to, I got one, you know, last week for, I need a shrink wrapper for my outdoor furniture. So it's fun for me. Like I like being the resource and I'm happy to share the information. I love that. And I, I think that makes a good realtor because especially people moving from city to suburbs, because you have so many resources to give and help. And it just, I think it eases the transition when you can do that. And yeah, same with me as a designer, I was always able to help with you know, certain things like they really need it. Which garbage man are they going to call? I'm like, here's two numbers. These are both people that I've used and whatever. And it just, anything you can do to help. But I think from a realtor perspective, it's a really nice thing. The relationship survives the closing always. Yeah. You know, I'm always like, it's not, it's not like you close and all of a sudden we never talk again. Right. A hundred percent. Like there's, there's so much to do after closing still. Yeah. And it's the same with me. I stay in touch with a lot of my clients. And I think I told you I have a few of them where I might be done with what, you know, the project, 
that they've asked me for, but then they're like doing something else or it might be something small, like I'm buying yeah. the, the guest bedroom. And usually a lot of times the husbands will be like, well, run it by Jill. And if Jill says yes, <laughs> then you can buy it. So sometimes nice. you'll reach out. That's going to be your new hashtag. Yeah. Like, run it by Jill. Run it by Jill. Um, <laughs> because if she says, okay, if Jill says, okay, then, then you can get it. So, but it's nice. It's nice to have that relationship with clients. And I feel good knowing that I can help. So I'm always happy to get a quick text. Yeah, like, same. I'm out and I saw this and can I put it on my dining room table and be like, yeah, it's gorgeous. Get it. Or thumbs down. That doesn't match anything. Find something else. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So I think yeah. that's great. Well, I'm really happy that you came on today. I think everything we touched upon was, was really, really important. And I think, you know, there are a lot of challenges owning a suburban home in general. It's a lot of space to fill. So I think this really kind of helped people along. Let's close the show with, if there's any other last quick tips, we've, we've given a lot. This is, you know, January and February winter months. If there's any tips for, you know, buying a home in, in that season, but also best places to find you, website, contact information, because we'll put it all in the show notes, Amanda. So that way people can just click and get right to you if they need to reach out to you. I think we touched on everything. I mean, the last tips are, you know, buy a home that you love. I think that it's a, it's a huge investment. It's also, you know, where you spend all your time. I think that that's really important and making it, you know, making it somewhere that you really love to be. I think generally you'll see that in resale, if you do it well, it'll make sense, right? So yeah. I think that's always you know, good advice. In terms of where to find me, I'm part of a team at William Ravis called Michelle and Team. So our website is michelleandteam.com. My Instagram is Subway to Suburbs. Michelle and Team also has an Instagram. Sometimes my stuff is on there and I cross post from our site. And I'm always available by phone. You know, I'm driving around all the time. So I always say like, happy to have someone give me a call and chat. Yeah. Or a text um, or something, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we'll have it all in the show notes. That way, if they go to your website or Instagram, they can link to all your contact information, even send you DMs on Instagram. I know that's how we connected. So yep. feel free to DM Amanda and go, hey, Amanda, I need a house. <laughs> <laughs> if you like what you're hearing on Welcome Home to the Suburbs, I would be so appreciative if you would support the show. The best way to support the show is to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I would be so appreciative, and I hope you will leave us a review. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Welcome Home to the Suburbs. Head over to jillcalmaninteriors.com to learn more about designing a beautiful new home while minimizing the stress of moving. See you back here next week.